Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Book Wolves podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Cam. I'm from the YouTube channel Wolfshop Publishing, and this is a podcast where we talk about reading and writing, all that sort of stuff. Now, it's just me today, no guests today, but the exciting news is that I do have a guest lined up for next week, a fellow booktuber and fellow self-published author, and we'll be having a chat about uh, the lighter side of self-publishing and the darker side, just so we can um, have a bit of an in-depth discussion about maybe it, it is the best choice for you or maybe it isn't. Um, but that's not what we're talking about today. Today we are talking about asshole authors or asshole artists in general and can they be separated from their work. Um, that's a bit of a deep discussion that we'll be having towards the end of this episode. But first of all, just to set some context, I want to actually tell you about a number of different authors, a handful of different authors through time who you may not know in uh, modern so- uh, society standards would be considered an arsehole or politically incorrect or someone that you would generally not want to be associated with. Um, and I think some of these will really surprise you. I'll let you know before I do that even though that this was all kind of triggered by something I saw on Twitter quite recently. I actually had a different plan for the episode today, but this, I feel, is a bit more interesting and uh, definitely takes a bit more priority. So I was on Twitter, and quite recently you may or may not have heard of a slight controversy involving an author named Terry Goodkind. I saw tweets uh, kind of flurrying about, and I'll keep in mind, I hadn't ever heard of this author before, I saw these tweets, although he is is quite famous, so chances are you may have. You may have. Uh, he's a fantasy author, and basically what happened was he went on his Facebook account, and where he has, I think he has like 200,000 followers, maybe more, I might just be thinking of his Twitter, I'm not too sure, but either way, he has a lot of followers, a lot, and he'd posted a picture of one of his books, and essentially the caption had read along the lines of the book cover, well, the book is good, the book cover is not good. I actually feel like I should quote this directly just so I'm not giving over bad information. And to be honest, I think think it's worse than what I just said. So here we go. He says, Shroud of Eternity, which is the name of the book, Shroud of Eternity is a great book with a very bad cover, laughably bad. So let's have fun, some fun with it. Tell us what you think of the cover in my next post. It's a poll above, blah, blah, blah. Basically what happened was he trashed the book cover in a very public Facebook post and proceeded to make a poll about it. Basically just taking the piss. And unfortunately, and quite sadly, the cover artist who made the book cover, and I just want to take a moment to say... If this was drawn from scratch, it's it's fucking fantastic. The amount of detail in this, you should Google image it, obviously. It's called Shroud of Eternity by Terry Goodkind. I don't know if it's an accurate representation of Terry's characters, but the artwork is fantastic. It's almost photorealistic. But anyway, um the yeah, the artist saw the post on Facebook and was understandably very upset about it very, very upset. He was, he was quite offended, actually, as you would be. And since then, I feel that it's important to note that Terry has 
apologized, and you can't see, but I'm, I'm using quotation marks with my hands around that word, apologized. He's apologized for the post, but realistically, he, it, it's a bit of a crap apology. Anyway, he hasn't really apologized. He's just backpedaled and tried to defend himself. He's, he's basically said the good old argument of, I'm sorry if the artist was offended, but what I meant was actually this. So I'm sorry for the misunderstanding. And here's where I, I land on that. His defense is basically that he feels the book cover is obviously well-drawn and the artist is obviously very talented, but it was a poor representation of his characters and that's why he feels it was a bad book cover. And the way I the way I land on this is that I believe him. I believe that he doesn't like the cover for that reason. I, I don't think anyone can honestly look at that cover and say, yeah, the artist is is shit at drawing. I think Terry, while being an asshole, is smart enough to realize that the the artist is incredibly talented. But in saying that, I think he made a terrible mistake by doing the post he did. When he wrote what he wrote, it's quite obviously to anyone reading it could have been perceived as being aimed directly at the artist. And unfortunately, in this case, that's what happened. The artist saw it and took it personally. And if he'd come out and apologized appropriately and said, you know, oh, shit, I'm so sorry. I should have worded this better. I meant to aim this towards the publisher for going against my wishes and using a book cover I didn't want to use. But rather than doing that kind of apology, he did this half-assed, I'm sorry if you misunderstood my intentions apology. Everyone misunderstood your intentions, mate, because your intentions were not clear. Your intentions easily could have been misconstrued as a personal attack against the artist. And rather than speaking down and being condescending and making everyone that was um, annoyed by your comments feel like idiots for thinking that, maybe just apologize. Maybe accept that you fucked up and actually apologize properly. Anyway, that's where I land. Uh, I think it was a stupid fucking thing to do, and I think the worst part isn't the post he wrote. I think the worst part is that he actually hasn't given a proper apology. That's where I land. So that's how this all started. I, I saw these posts about Terry Goodkind, and I, I wanted to find out more because I'd never heard of him before. I've obviously never read any of his books, so I, I won't comment at all on his ability as a writer, because I haven't read his books, and some of the comments I've seen about his books have been that it's very derivative, um, very similar to other fantasy stories, etc., etc., but that's just me relaying information to you. That's not my opinion, because I don't know. I haven't read his books. But with that aside, I did decide to go back, do a bit of digging, see, you know, if this is just an honest mistake from this guy, because I felt a bit bad when I first saw this happening, I was like, oh, shit, this guy's just pretty much ruined his career. Because you know how it, how it goes once it gets to Twitter. This really can destroy your career. And I, I thought, oh, shit, he, he said something stupid, and now this is going to end him. And I felt a bit sorry for him. And then I did a bit of digging. And as it turns out, this is not an uncommon practice for Terry Goodkind to act like a pretentious douchebag. Most notably, and it is something he's addressed before, but it was an interview, I think, with USA Today back in 2003, 
And I'll read out some of the quotes, but just be warned, it's, it's some of the most just cringy, pretentious douchebaggery you'll hear in a long time. But, and this isn't the only example of him acting like a pretentious douche, but I, I want to mention before I read these quotes out that he's addressed it since then. And it is almost the exact same situation as his apology to this artist. It has been him saying to a small degree that he maybe didn't word it properly, followed by paragraphs of him talking about how he was a record-breaking author at the time and blah, 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 and people just misinterpreted and take it out of context and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, he, it doesn't, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would give a genuine apology if he accidentally stepped on a child's face. He, he just seems like the kind of guy who would turn around and be like, oh, that, that's really, that really sucks that that happened. But you know, you, you were the one, uh, sitting on the, sitting on the ground in the path of my walking. So, you know, he, he just seems like the kind of guy who will find any excuse not to be in the wrong. And that may have worked for him in the past, but when you're in, tw- you know, 2018, where Twitter exists, people aren't going to let that fly. And I think this kind of attitude he has, is going to ultimately be his downfall. I think it's going to have a very detrimental effect on his career as a whole because no one's taking it anymore. It's bullshit and people are calling bullshit on it. Anyway, I'm getting way too passionate about this. Um, you'll have to forgive me. I've just, I've been doing a bit too much reading on Terry Goodkind, I think. But anyway, I'll give you some of the quotes from this interview he did. Essentially, the question was, um, essentially, the question was regarding to his work as a fantasy author. And his response is just uh, it's something special. All right, let me pull it up here and I'll, I'll read it out for you. I'll read out what his response was. He responded, first of all, and I'm going to read it in a really posh accent because this is how I imagine someone would actually say something ridiculous like this. He says, first of all, I don't write fantasy. I write stories that have important human themes. They have elements of romance, history, adventure, mystery, and philosophy. Most fantasy is one-dimensional. It's either about magic or world-building. I don't do either. That's the quote. So in a nutshell, in a very short paragraph, he has uh, both managed to trash the genre that he's writing in and basically pitch that he he has transcended the the genre that he writes in. And now he says, first of all, I don't write fantasy. The story he's referring to has a dragon on the cover. The story he's referring to has wizards. The story he's referring to has almost all elements of your most cliche derivative fantasy story. It is a fantasy. He can spin that shit any way he likes, but it is a fantasy. And acting like a pretentious D-bag about it is just all right all right i'm gonna stop with the name calling okay i'm I'm gonna stop and just try to take a step back and approach this discussion as i normally would which is more objective than subjective but like i said before you'll have to forgive me i've just dug myself into a bit of an asshole author's hole here you can take that quote for whatever you like, and believe me, there are much more quotes like it. He, he actually doesn't finish there with that question. He goes on to talk about how fantasy itself has become quite vacuous, and he boils it down to fantasy being about very base things that he has risen above, and blah, 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 blah. But I think it, it just goes to show that 
this kind of behavior from an author has flown under the radar for quite a while, but he, he unfortunately for, for him, unfortunately for him, he has ended up putting himself on the map now in the scope of the Twitter reader base and booktube itself, I guess now, uh, because I will be doing an actual video on this guy. Um, he's put himself in the line of fire of some of the most passionately opinionated, uh, book people there is, which I'm, I'm not saying is always a good thing. I think the opinionated side of booktube can become toxic to a certain degree, but at the same time, no one's gonna, gonna let him, uh, get away with this without calling bullshit. The, I mean, I'm also mean the way he, he treated the artist. Like I said, it's not so much what he said about the cover work. It's the fact that he did not apologize properly. He, he basically just said that it was everyone else's fault for not understanding what he actually meant. Anyway, uh, moving on from that, that's Terry Goodkind. So, I mean, that, that's something to really think about if you're looking for new authors. I'm going to run through some other authors, uh, much more brief, mind you. <laughs> I'm going to talk about some other authors much more brief and what they've done that in today's age we actually would consider quite terrible. Um, and we'll go from there. And for these authors, I'm not going to use the argument of, uh, you know, it was a different time, although I think that is important to a certain degree. Um, you, it was socially normal to act in a lot of ways that we wouldn't consider socially normal anymore. And I don't think that's always an extension of how good or bad the person actually was. But in most cases here, what I'm going to be talking about is bad, even at the time they um, did these things. So the first one is William Golding. Uh, you may or may not know he was the author of The Lord of the Flies, which is one of the literary classics essentially about a bunch of young boys stranded on an island and um, hierarchy elements of that and it becoming quite violent. Yeah, basically, William Golding, what he did was, uh, I believe it was a short time after his passing, they found a bunch of journals that he'd written in um, that and that he'd hidden away quite uh, quite cautiously. And reading through the journals, they found a couple of entries spanning through his lifetime regarding to an incident from when he was back, uh, back when he was 18, so that's quite a long time ago. Essentially, what William Golding had described was his attempted rape of a 15-year-old. So he was 18, and the victim, I guess, was, well, I don't guess, it was a victim. Um, the victim was 15, and he tried to force herself onto her sexually because he believed, and quoting the journal here, he believed she wanted hard sex. Later on in life, uh, they did actually meet up again and had consensual sex, for whatever reason, in a field. I think when this happened, it was some kind of revenge plot of that girl. From what I understand, I, I don't know, I'm going off vague research here. Obviously, no one knows the full extent of this. It happened quite a long time ago, but yeah, basically they met up again and had consensual sex. But yeah, when she was 15, he tried to force herself on her. So that was William Golding, author of Lord of the Flies. That's just something to think about. The next one is J.D. Salinger. 
who you may know as the author of The Catcher in the Rye. I think this one might actually uh, sting for quite a few people because The Catcher in the Rye is what a lot of people like to call their favorite story and uh, they say that it is one of the most important literary works in existence. Now, I personally, I think that's, uh, I think that is a bit dramatic. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a brilliant work of literary fiction, but as far as, uh, in, to the extent of which it's been brought in the schools, that sort of thing, uh, I, I don't know if it's that valuable, um, but it, that's a discussion for a different day. Essentially, J.D. Salinger, in a nutshell, was what we would consider today a pedophile or a pedophile. Yeah, I know that might be a bit jarring here, but it's true. He, When he was 30 years old, which is quite a considerable age for someone to be in a situation where this would be happening, he was 30 years, years old, he dated a 14-year-old, 14 14-year-old, 14 and that relationship was sexual. So, I mean, if we thought about that in today's age, and you saw a 30-year-old walking down the street with a 14-year-old, you know, groping them, that sort of thing, it would be disgusting. People just wouldn't stand for it. And uh, honestly, just talking about it makes me feel a bit ill. But yeah, in, in those days, it, w- it was still considered, to a certain degree, wrong. This was only in the 50s, mind you. This happened early 50s. And later on in life, J.D. JD Salinger actually went on to get married, of course, as you know, to a more appropriately aged woman. But then he went on to, again, uh, get with a younger woman, this time, thankfully not a 14-year-old, but an 18-year-old, and he continued to have, I believe it was a nine-month affair with this 18-year-old. So the author of The Catcher in the Rye essentially was a a pedophile and an adulterer, or someone who would frequently cheat on his wife. After that, we have H.P. Lovecraft. This is a more well-known scandal, I guess, if you want to call it that, uh, regarding to the author of various horror short stories, most notable of all being Call of Cthulhu. I was recently introduced to his writing. I've, I've always known about him, of course, but I've only just started reading his work, and I can say it is fantastic writing, of course. Again, we'll be discussing more separating artists from their work towards the end of the episode, but I thought it was all right. I thought it was good, uh, the writing, so much. But then I, I mentioned it in a video on my YouTube channel, Wolfshot Publishing, at one point, and someone commented on it telling me that he was actually um, a racist in some instances, considered a white supremacist back in his day. And th- that was pretty surprising for me, so I, obviously I went and looked it up straight away. And what I'd found was that, unfortunately, it was quite true. Back in his day, there there is a plethora of examples of him saying apparently racist things. But I think the best way to summarize it is to let you know that he wrote a poem at one point, and the title was On the Creation of... And then N-word. Obviously, I'm not going to say it, but On the Creation of... N-word. And I would recommend looking up that poem because if you think, you know, maybe, I mean, that word was more commonly used back then, that doesn't mean he was a racist, but look up the poem 
and you will understand from from the words there that he had a quite vile opinion of um, African Americans. I'm not going to repeat any of those on here just because it's not necessary, but you can look that up and find that quite easily. But he, he was obviously racist. I don't know if it would fall into the category of white supremacist, but judging from, I mean, I don't know if it, in saying that, obviously he was pro-white, but the reason I say I don't know if it would be white supremacy is because I don't know if it was just African Americans that he didn't like, or if it was all um, racist other than white, but I, th- I think it's fair to say he, he probably was a white supremacist. Next one, and this is one that I have never heard, had never heard about before I found this, and I think it's something that, again, is going to surprise a lot of people because this is an author that has been extremely influential on writing as a whole, not just a specific genre, but writing as a whole. I'm talking about Charles Dickens. This one is a lot more brief, and essentially it is uh, quite like J.D. Salinger. He had an affair with an 18-year-old while he was married, quite a long affair, and essentially his wife left him as a result of that. And rather than accept that he did something wrong, he proceeded to write about her in his works, referring to her as being mentally disturbed and malicious, I'm guessing for leaving him, um, due to him (laughs) fucking an 18-year-old behind her back, as you do. Last but not least, and I did leave this for last because I, to a certain extent, I believe this author has actually redeemed themselves. Um, I'm talking about Dr. Seuss. So, back during the time of World War II and the time of propaganda being a real element of combat and war, Dr. Seuss was known to be involved with a lot of propaganda cartoons about the, um, you know, Asian enemy that they, they were pitted against. Uh, cartoons that obviously drew on their stereotypes. I mean, the image probably comes to mind when you think of propaganda cartoons from World War II. You know what I'm talking about. And essentially, Dr. Seuss was involved with a lot of that. So he, he was involved in a lot of racist drawings, not just, unfortunately, not just about uh, the Asian community, but also he was involved in some of the cartoons involving the depictions of African Americans back then. Uh, you know, the, the more Disney-looking depictions from way back in the day that quite bad. It was basically black, black skin, and massive pink lips, basically just, and and massive noses, basically just drawing on some very negative stereotypes and bringing them to the forefront. Um, But yeah, Dr. Seuss was heavily involved in that, and what I mean when I said I believe he has redeemed himself is that since then he has consistently and exhaustedly made it clear that he, he, well, he hates the cartoons that he made back then. He hates the fact that he thought it was okay to make those cartoons. Everything about the way he responds to his previous work from back then, I I believe, is proof that he, he's not just ashamed of it, but he's incredibly embarrassed by it as well. And he's also gone on to and this is what you pro- will probably be more familiar with, his recent stuff or the stuff that I've grown up with has been very, very strongly against, you know, racism and prejudice, etc., etc. For example, his story, The Sneetches, which is uh, 
a direct attempt to combat racism, etc. He he has very strong messages in his works nowadays that I feel pushes in the direction of accepting people, no matter what color they are, no matter how they speak, etc. Well, that's it. That's all the authors I wanted to tell you about today. Um, so now we move on to the conversation of separating artist from work. And this is such a tricky one for me. Um, I, I honestly feel it's a bit of a gray area. I'm not entirely sure where to land because I feel the degree to which what they've done, uh, the seriousness of what they've done contributes to whether I will be able to continue enjoying and consuming their work or not. And this is something not exclusive to authors. I've seen this conversation come up, for example, ages, ages ago in the past when there was a whole debacle with Chris Brown, um, you know, hitting Rihanna and people were debating whether they could still enjoy Chris Brown's music or not. And it is tricky because, you know, the, the artwork itself is not always a direct reflection of the artist. And if it's something you enjoy, there doesn't seem to be much logical reason as to why you, you wouldn't continue to enjoy it. But then the question is raised, well, does that promote, you know, the continuation of funding that artist? Basically, they're still getting paid. They're still, in most cases, rich and famous for what they're doing, despite the fact they're a terrible person. And yeah, that that's a fair point to me. And it's a tricky one. If I was to relate this, let's say, to Terry Goodkind, I mean, I'm not going to buy any of his stuff simply because I didn't know about him before, so I didn't have any interest to do it before. And my first introduction to him has been him trashing his cover artist, so I have no interest in, in that. And to be honest, his, his stories don't sound that unique to the point where I would pick it up over most other fantasies I'm currently reading through. At the same time, when you when you look at stories, for example, let's say H.P. Lovecraft um, and J.D. Salinger, I, I'm still going to read H.P. Lovecraft, even though I'm aware that he was a terribly, terribly racist man. And that's not just because I know he's dead now, obviously, and he it's not like he's really he himself is getting the money that is put towards his books. But I feel that when when you have an author like H.P. Lovecraft, who, you know, other authors like Stephen King have described as being a revolutionary in the writing genre for horror or basically writing in general, I think you can still appreciate and study someone's artwork and withdraw things from it to your own personal benefit without personally supporting the artist themselves. But I, I do want to hear what you think on that because it's such a gray area for me. Because if I was to put it in extremes, we would we could compare um, appreciating H.P. Lovecraft's work, although he was a racist, compare that to, let's say, next week, life-changing author goes and murders a bunch of children. I, I mean, would we still appreciate their work? I don't know. I'd, it's just, is it a matter of time? Like, does enough time have to pass before we can do that? It's, I don't know. I really don't know. I think it's not in, I don't think it's going to stop me from reading most authors. Like, 
all the authors I just mentioned, I would still read their works. But I think it is important at the very least to not ignore the fact that they did terrible things. I think you can read Catcher in the Rye, but you shouldn't ever forget the fact that the person who wrote it was a pedophile, was fucking a 14-year-old while he was, you know, approaching middle age. Anyway, uh, on that bright topic, I think that should do it for the podcast today. I, I mean, there's not a whole lot more I can say. Like I said, I don't know where I even land with separating artists from work, but I hope this information has been, you know, interesting to you. I, I think it's going to be news to a lot of people what uh, these five or six, I guess, authors are doing and have done. I, th- I think it would be interesting to quite a few people. Thank you so much for checking in. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want to keep catching these episodes. Um, if you're listening on the SoundCloud app or the podcast store itself, um, Thank you. I actually don't even know what you do on there. Do you follow? Whatever. Whatever you need to do to keep catching up with these if you do enjoy them. Just do it, I guess. Next week, I will have a booktuber on here to talk about self-publishing. So if that's something you're interested in, that might be even more of a draw for you. Thanks so much again for listening, guys. Thanks for sticking with me uh, through the whole break I had there. The very, very, very long break. It is back to regular programming now. This will be a weekly podcast going forward, so I do appreciate your patience. Thank you. Catch you later.